This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. We're delighted you're with us today. You know, Thomas, we talk about a lot of topics on the human side of healthcare. One of those has been breast cancer. I know our listeners know someone or someone even in their family may have been impacted by breast cancer. But we're going to talk about some of the good and new technology related to treatment. Yeah, it seems like more and more cases are just popping up. And I know that if you don't know somebody directly, you probably are at least one person removed. And this is something that touches a lot of people in North Texas. We are going to hear about a new technology today that gives the surgeon a tremendous upper hand against this disease. We're delighted that we've got with us Dr. Amelia Tawa. She is a breast surgical oncologist and medical director of the breast program at Texas Health Harris Methodist located in Fort Worth. Dr. Tawa, welcome to the show. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate this opportunity, and it's a privilege to be talking with you guys about this exciting new equipment that we're offering here at Texas Health Harris Methodist in Fort Worth. Well, you know, as we look at breast cancer, we've had guests on before talking about high-risk patients and some of the screenings that we go through. But for our listeners, can you explain what this new technology is and how it's being used. Absolutely. So, you know, as we all know, breast cancer is the most common cancer among women, and one in eight women, unfortunately, will develop it in her lifetime. You know, we look at our audience today, and most likely some of these people listening have battled this terrible disease, or they've had to experience a journey of breast cancer through a loved one or even a friend. And whenever we look at breast cancer, surgery is the primary treatment. And patients ultimately have two choices for treatment, which is either a mastectomy, that is the complete removal of the breast, or a lumpectomy, which is removal of the tumor with healthy tissue around it. The new technology that I'm currently using at Texas Health Harris Methodist, it's an FDA-approved machine, and it's actually used in the operating room on the lumpectomy specimen. And what it does is it evaluates in real time in the operating room, the margin assessment. What does this mean? Well, it means that sometimes breast cancer can't be seen or felt. And I can actually look at the tissue removed during the operation and detect if the amount removed is adequate or if additional tissue should be taken at the same surgery. So the possibility of a patient having to return for a second surgery is extremely low whenever I utilize this equipment. So as you use this equipment, and it's really real time, so to speak, in the OR, do you still need a pathologist involved in this kind of surgery? Absolutely. So pathology involves a physician who's trained to examine specimen and tissue samples for a diagnosis, and that's still a critical part and process in all cancer operations. This technology does not replace the need for pathology. But again, it provides that real-time information on the margin status of a lumpectomy before closing and ending the operation 
which gives added assurance to the surgeon that the cancer is definitely removed and there's no residual disease that could possibly exist. The process is non-toxic and it's non-destructive to the tissue samples. So it preserves the lumpectomy specimen for traditional pathology review to take place. You know, as you look at this technology, and I know you've explained in the OR, how does it actually work and distinguish healthy tissue from tissue you have to remove? So it really goes off the mantra of seeing is believing. This machine uses OCT, which is optical coherence tomography, and that's actually been around since 1991, and it's been previously used in specialties such as ophthalmology, cardiology, and dermatology. OCT produces images very quickly on a screen, um, and the resolution of these images that are displayed are actually 10 times higher than standard x-ray or ultrasound images and 100 times greater than that of MRI. So what it does is it allows surgeons to look at the tissue right then and there rather than waiting days after pathology processes the tissue and looks at it under their microscope. And again, in real time, we're able to visualize if additional tissue needs to be taken because we may see cells or cancer approaching what we call the margin. Do you use this technology in all types of breast cancer surgery? For example, do you use it in a mastectomy? So that's actually a great question. And right now, this device is only utilized for lumpectomy specimen. The reason being is it's limited in the diameter that it can scan for the tissue. It can scan up to eight centimeters. And the majority of mastectomy specimens, which includes the complete boundaries of the breast are larger than eight centimeters. So currently the technology is being utilized for lumpectomy because it's important as it's being used to look at the margin assessment, which is where the margin is a concern. Again, the lumpectomy is where we remove the tumor with healthy tissue around it. So this machine is allowing us to visualize that tissue and ensure that we are incorporating healthy tissue and not leaving cancer behind. You know, as a surgeon, how has this changed your surgical experience? You know, I can honestly change that. I can honestly say since I've been routinely using this piece of equipment since August, it's transformed my surgical processes for my breast cancer surgeries as well as for all of my lumpectomy patients. A lumpectomy is a breast cancer surgery that preserves the cosmesis of the breast as well as the functionality, but it has similar survival rates as a mastectomy. And in order for this procedure to be successful, again, there has to be that realm of healthy tissue around the removed cancer. And one of the risks of this type of surgery is residual microscopic disease remaining after the surgery, which is known as that positive margin. Unfortunately, if a positive margin exists, this can result in the patient requiring a second surgery to remove that involved margin or tissue. And I can say personally that telling a patient she has cancer is one of the worst conversations that I have to have, second only to telling her that we didn't get all the cancer on the first surgery and we have to go back for another procedure. Current technologies just don't have the capabilities to visualize microscopic disease on margins, but OCT can quickly demonstrate on a screen up to two millimeters subsurface imaging of all excised tissue margins right in the operating room. So it enables surgeons to make informed decisions when it counts the most. 
And as a surgeon treating this horrible disease, I want to do my very best. And if I can utilize technology and capacities like this to have better outcomes and save my patients, the emotional and physical trauma of going back to the OR, then I'm going to do my very best and utilize this machine. This is Dr. Amelia Tower, breast surgical oncologist and the medical director of the breast program at Texas Health Harris Methodist Hospital in Fort Worth. And when we come back, you're going to hear that Dr. Tower was the first in the country to use this equipment for this procedure. The entire interview with Dr. Tower, this is so important that it's on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare. So if you know somebody who has breast cancer or you have breast cancer, you can hear a replay on The Human Side of Healthcare podcast. Back with more right after this. This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation about some new revolutionary technology in breast cancer treatment with Dr. Amelia Tower from Texas Health Harris Methodist Hospital in Fort Worth. A technology that, by the way, is only at Texas Health Harris Methodist at this time and allows Dr. Tower to remove all of the margins around a tumor in the first operation, which leaves the question, then, is chemotherapy and radiation necessary after this procedure? So that's dependent on a lot of factors. And in breast cancer, that's one of the amazing things. things that it has to offer is that all treatment is and and all treatment plans are individualized and multidisciplinary, meaning that we incorporate several physicians of different expertise to come together and, and have consultations with our patients and discuss their treatment plans and their very best options. The decisions regarding radiation and chemotherapy are based on the final pathology that we retrieve from the surgery and also a lot of factors that are determined from that pathology, which incorporates size, characteristics, and even prognostic panels of the tumor itself. So whenever we look at a lumpectomy, the standard of care still shows us that radiation is utilized as an adjunct. And what it does is it can decrease the chance of local regional recurrence for these patients. However, we've also identified in several studies that not all patients who have a lumpectomy for either non-invasive or invasive breast carcinoma um, require radiation. That's where we involve radiation um, oncology experts. And we also, again, look at our final pathology. As far as chemotherapy, again, it's all individualized. And we consider the patient, the, the tumor, the patient preferences, and also, again, our, our results before we make that final decision. You know, you mentioned that one in eight women will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. So with that said, when should women begin self-evaluation and examination, and when should they seek professional care? That's a great question, and honestly, it's one of the more frequent questions I'm asked, and I'm probably asked that on a daily basis, not just by patients, but by friends and even neighbors. Um, You know, we still have our standards that every woman should have a mammogram starting at age 40 up until Um, you know, whenever a physician thinks that they may be elderly and may not require a mammogram, 
However, some patients require screening earlier, and that's dependent on factors that include family history and also risk factors for breast cancer. So any of those patients should be comfortable to talk to their family practitioner, to talk to their gynecologist about their risk factors, and oftentimes they're referred to a breast surgical oncologist or a breast specialist to do a risk assessment and to help partner with that patient to develop a surveillance plan. And sometimes those surveillance plans can be enacted as early as their 20s. As far as females, you know, I always tell women and and especially mothers, because I'm a mother myself, although I do have sons, but um, mothers, I tell them, you know, if you have children, make sure that your children are are just comfortable with their bodies and self-aware. And with young women, it's very important to, to partner with young women and teach them how to do a breast exam at age 18 and to definitely start doing monthly self-breast exams because unfortunately this disease does not always discriminate at all. And we've seen breast cancer as early as age 18 and and 20s and it's very unfortunate, but the more self-aware and the more that a, a female is is cognizant of their body and does these monthly routine exams if they remember or if they feel comfortable, the sooner that they can detect an abnormality and bring that to their attention of their family member or their physician. And that goes for all females to try to be self-aware and to do a, a breast exam. And I know I'm busy and I don't even always remember, hey, it's this, the month went by and I didn't get my breast exam in. But again, the more self-aware you are, if there's an abnormality, just bring it to the attention of any physician and they'll most likely get you evaluated very quickly, very expeditiously and to whatever specialist you may need to meet with to have a, a more in-depth evaluation. You know, this new technology that you've been using since August You mentioned that it had been around for a while. I think you said it even has been used in dermatology. So as you look in your crystal ball, do you see other new treatments on the horizon? Absolutely. You know, breast surgery is one of the specialties and incorporates a lot of technology and there's a lot of innovative and progressive equipment that we get to utilize in these surgeries. And we've come a long way, even in the past five and 10 years in our surgical management of benign and malignant breast diseases. As far as I look in my crystal ball, and I really wish I had one of those at home, I'll tell you that right now, but um, that OCT technology, I think, and I hope is going to become a standard of care. And I say that because I really have seen great results in my own practice and really think that this is a game changer in the treatment of this disease. And I look at it as I hope that this machine becomes the next standard of care that's used in every lumpectomy for every patient everywhere to treat every breast cancer patient to the best of our abilities. Because, you know, I always say that unfortunately this disease, it does not play by the rules. So if we as surgeons can make the rules and use this amazing technology to have something on our side to help us give the best possible surgical experience and outcome, then I want it available for every surgeon to use. You know, I know we've talked a lot about breast cancer and breast surgery, and obviously it's predominant in females, but Thomas and I actually interviewed a patient that was a male that had breast cancer. Could this technology be used on a male as well? Absolutely. So unfortunately, 
men do get breast cancer, although very rare, but around 2,000 men per year uh, get breast cancer and get diagnosed. Whenever we look at treating breast cancer in men, oftentimes it's detected later because some men don't think that they can get breast cancer. They're just not aware whenever they feel a lump. Could it be trauma? Could it be from working out? Could it be from, you know, a seatbelt? So it's dismissed. And they may unfortunately be diagnosed at a later time where their only surgical option is a mastectomy. And that's also dependent on the size of the tumor and the uh, the size of the breast mound or the chest wall of the gentleman who has it. However, whenever you look at treating breast cancer in men, you can offer them surgical options of a lumpectomy in some isolated cases, again, depending on a lot of factors incorporated of the tumor type, the ratio of the breast tissue to the tumor, and then also the preferences. You know, as far as a lumpectomy, whenever we do these operations, we can utilize advanced techniques that are called hidden scar where we can hide the incision, where there's little evidence that we ever manipulated or operated on the breast or chest wall. And for several men, they actually gravitate towards this rather than having a very long um, incision across their chest wall where a mastectomy is, is performed if they're a candidate and if that's possible. You know, you've done an excellent job answering my questions But to our listeners out there, and especially, as you said, women age 18 and over about self-exam and then age 40 and over getting their annual checkups, what message do you want to send them that I have not covered? You know, I think one of the best messages for any female and, and really any patient regarding your health is just feel comfortable that if you feel anything that may be abnormal or you think anything is different about your body, bring it to somebody's attention. You know, as, as physicians, we work with our patients to communicate, to, to evaluate, to treat whatever may be going on. And, and we want to partner to our best um, to provide the service that we can to, to make a patient comfortable and to help them along their journey, which in my experience with what I deal with is a very anxiety-ridden and stressful journey. So I just encourage people to try to feel comfortable. And whenever you come into a physician's office, feel like you can talk to them about anything and ask any questions because especially regarding any kind of cancer, there's no silly question. And I think what really changed my perspective on treating breast cancer and treating cancer in general was not from all the books I read and not all the studies I read and becoming an expert in everything and dedicating my life to this specialty. Really, whenever I felt like I became my best was whenever I walked the journey of cancer with my father two years ago who had prostate cancer. And I recognized to treat breast cancer patients and to treat cancer patients, I went through it and I couldn't get, I couldn't be there for my father as a surgeon. I had to be there as a daughter. And so I think that that's one of the things that changed my perspective on cancer in general after all these years of dealing with hundreds of patients and reading all these studies and doing research was it's just a very difficult journey. And we're here to try to help and make it better. And it will get better. But please just feel comfortable to talk to your physician and partner with your physician, whoever can give you the best care. 
We love new technology stories here at the human side of healthcare. It is the cutting edge of American medicine. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Amelia Tower from Texas Health, Harris Methodist Hospital, next, right here on the human side of healthcare. Welcome back to the human side of healthcare, where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life. With DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. We're continuing this amazing conversation with Dr. Amelia Tower, breast surgical oncologist and medical director of the breast program at Texas Health Harris Methodist Hospital in Fort Worth and the first in the United States to use this new technology that is available there at Texas Health Harris Methodist for removing all of the cells around a breast tumor. The whole interview is on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare. But to set the stage coming back, Dr. Tower, can you tell us the history of this device? Yeah, absolutely. So the OCT has been around since 1991, and it's been utilized in other specialties. But whenever looking at breast cancer surgery, this company that developed this technology is actually out of Canada, was looking at finding imaging capabilities that would provide real-time assessment of margins. And the reason is because oftentimes whenever we offer patients breast conservation, unfortunately, they don't necessarily have one operation. These patients have to return to have the tissue excised again due to positive margin. So what this results in is emotional trauma, delaying any adjuvant care of the, the breast cancer patients, and also, unfortunately, it increases health care costs. So not only did this company look to develop technology that could help the surgeons um, kind of mitigate these, these things that have been tasking us for decades, but it really put the patient first and foremost. And whenever I say that, I wholeheartedly believe that the developers of this machine really did it to help patients because it's never a fun process to tell a patient that they have to go back to the operating room. And the chief goal of this machine and this company is to try to to make it the best possible surgical experience and outcome in one surgery. I'd like to take you back to the very first time you used it successfully. What were your emotions after that procedure of wow? It was wow. You know, I can honestly say, first of all, full disclosure, I was pretty excited because I got the title as the first in the world using it for commercial use. So whenever you can come home and you can tell your spouse or your your mother, hey, look, mama, I made it. I'm the first in the world. It's a pretty cool experience. But that being said, you know, as far as the first experience, I actually used it on a pretty complex case and on a patient that as far as a surgical candidate, she had multiple uh, she had multiple comorbidities and, and I wanted to make her surgery be the best it could possibly be. And I could see right then and there, and again, I said earlier, seeing is believing, but I could see it, and I could see where I felt like there could potentially be a positive margin approaching one of my lumpectomy sides, and so I did excise more tissue, and, you know, surgeons, we sometimes can be difficult until we want to see things in ink, and um, once I saw the pathology report, it was indeed residual carcinoma. And had I not had that machine and had I not re-excised that, 
This is another patient who unfortunately would have had a second operation. And so even that day exiting the operating room, I felt like I had really not only changed my game in surgery, but I had changed that of what patients potentially have to go through for the future. So that's why I'm so excited about this machine. You know, I want to introduce it to the community, to the world, because it's amazing. And the worst thing that you can ever do is tell a patient, we have to go back. Now, the conversation that you have today, since you have this machine, about whether or not to take out the whole breast, the mastectomy, or just the tumor, how has that changed that conversation with patients? Well, I don't think it's changed too much in my approach with my patients because, you know, whenever you do counseling to guide them on their surgical decision, there's a lot of factors and also the patient preference that comes in into play. So it hasn't necessarily changed my counseling. But whenever I discuss the overview of of what we're going to do in the operating room, a lot of times one of the questions is, well, how do you know you got it all? Or, or what if I do have to go back? My sister had breast cancer and she had to have two operations. I don't want to do that. So just take it all at once. But this machine and this technology allows me to counsel patients that, you know, it's not necessarily foolproof, but it does that kind of a belt and suspenders to our operation. It's an amazing technology that adds just a few minutes onto it. And, you know, just today I had a case where I was able to use it. And it has great results. You feel confident coming out. And again, it matches up and correlates with pathology with your results. And and it saves patients returning to the OR. So I think whenever I discuss it with patients now, I discuss it more of, well, it's an adjunct. But we need to make your surgical decision based on a lot of factors, not just based on this technology we can utilize. I have a friend who is fighting cancer right now, breast cancer, and they are not operating currently because the cancer grew into the muscle a little bit too much and they're trying to shrink it. Would this machine have an impact on that kind of a situation? So not, no, not first and foremost, you know, this sounds like a pretty aggressive tumor and unfortunately a very locally advanced breast cancer. And so to shrink that and to hopefully alleviate the burden of the muscular invasion, you would do most likely and what your friend, unfortunately, but fortunately is going through what's called neoadjuvant chemotherapy. And that is a big word that basically means that sometimes in breast cancer treatments, we don't always go to the, even though surgery, I said in the beginning, is a primary treatment for breast cancer, we don't always go to the operating room first. Neoadjuvant means we give that chemotherapy before surgery, and that allows the chemotherapy to potentially shrink the tumor and shrink the invasion and and potentially any systemic disease is abated with that and and then at that point if the tumor is is decreased in size potentially and and oftentimes a candidate that was only a a candidate for a mastectomy based on the tumor size can potentially that operation be converted to a lumpectomy and so then that's where this machine would be would be used we definitely want to use it if they had the lumpectomy yeah, that's fantastic. Overall, let's get in a helicopter and go up to about 10,000 feet and look at the overall landscape of breast cancer today. What trends are you seeing as far as, is it on the rise? Is it on the fall? Is it affecting 
more younger women, more older? What are you seeing as far as general macro trends these days? You know, fortunately, we're detecting we're detecting it earlier, and that's because of our technology. So that's great because then we can give patients have a lot more options and they have a better outcome. The only unfortunate thing, you know, if we are in a helicopter ride above right now, we do have to look that we're in a global pandemic and the landscape of healthcare has changed. And unfortunately, some women and um, a lot of patients have delayed getting their annual screening mammograms. And this has ultimately delayed some cancers being diagnosed earlier and being diagnosed later. And, you know, I tell my patients all the time, even in a global pandemic, cancer is not going to stop. So please, the best thing to always tell patients and, and that I try to counsel everybody on is it is very safe to get a mammogram, um, particularly at our breast center at the Cupferly Breast Center in Fort Worth. You know, the patients practice social distancing. Um, there's cleaning in between all the center is is made to be safe and, and COVID compliant. But what we need to stress to all patients is please, no matter what, no matter where, go and have your mammogram so that we can detect this horrible disease as soon as possible. Dr. Amelia Tower, the director of the breast program at Texas Health Harris Methodist Hospital in Fort Worth. If you'd like to catch the whole interview, it's on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare. And now we're going to pivot and we're going to talk about rehabilitation, restoring a normal lifestyle, and making sure you make a full recovery. Thomas, have you ever had an injury or a surgery that you had to recover from using rehab? No, I really haven't. However, I did manage for several years an orthopedic trauma practice here in the Metroplex, and I definitely saw how critical doing a full regimen of rehab can make the difference of whether you have full mobility of that joint or not after an injury or surgery. We're delighted we're going to be talking to Dr. Fabian Polo today. He's president at Baylor Scott & White Institute for Rehabilitation. Dr. Polo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, let's just start with the basics to help our listeners understand How do you define rehabilitation? So I I think the simplest way is that rehabilitation is the care and treatment by specialists, uh, usually clinicians, therapists, could be physicians, uh, with the ultimate goal to help people or patients regain regain their strength, their flexibility, and their abilities to uh, return to a normal life after an injury or illness. Can you tell our listeners about some of the programs, the special programs that you offer that really meets the needs of the patients and also the patients' families? Yeah, so we have lots lots of different programs. I think what makes us unique is we have a full continuum of services uh, for rehabilitation for patients. And we use uh, expert care, innovative technologies, training, education, and support to patients to help them transition from hospitals to home and their communities. Uh, we have a lot of uh, hands-on treatment and advanced technologies. You know, one in particular that I think be interested to your, your listeners is our exo uh, uh, device, which is an exoskeleton that we use on patients with paralysis or, or mobility issues after a stroke traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury, and it helps them 
improve their function, their endurance, uh, and hopefully get them mobile again. This is Dr. Fabian Polo, who is president of Baylor Scott & White's Institute for Rehabilitation in Dallas, a program with a world-renowned reputation, and we'll be back to hear more about it from Dr. Polo next on The Human Side of Healthcare. Covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is The Human Side of Healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Dr. Fabian Polo, who is president of Baylor Scott and White's Institute for Rehabilitation. We're talking about this EXO device that Dr. Polo says people come from all over long distances to use for their rehabilitation because it is so effective after an injury. Steve? You know, as you look at that device, you were just referring the EXO device how long has that been in existence and you're using it? So that was relatively new, probably, i say five, seven years ago, but it's become much more widely uh, utilized. Uh, we started with one unit. Now we have four units because a lot of patients want to get on them from, both from an inpatient side and also outpatient side. So it's really taken off in the, in the types of patients that this has been beneficial for. Uh, we've had patients travel long distances just to come and be able to use one of these t- these devices to help them with their rehabilitation. You know, as you look to the future, is there new technology on the horizon that's going to benefit patients? Well, there's there's obviously lots of work always going to try to help patients recover quicker from injury or illness or after surgery. Um, you know, the, the, the big areas are, you know, patients that we treat a lot of as spinal cord injuries or patients who are either incomplete or completes that, that require innovative technologies and therapies and protocols to, to help regain as much motion and dependence as possible. So there's always work uh, on that side of rehabilitation and on the traumatic brain injury side is how to help patients recover from uh, a traumatic brain injury uh, or other diseases that affect their, their brain, like a stroke, uh, to again, help them cognitively to get back to you know a normal lifestyle with as much independence as possible. You know, during the pandemic, the whole landscape changed. People postponed appointments. During the pandemic, how did you continue to deliver effective rehab treatment if people were postponing their appointments? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had significant impact back in the early 2020 when the pandemic first hit. And it really impacted more of our outpatient side of our our uh, organization than inpatient. So we, you're correct. A lot of patients were afraid to, to, to venture out in, into hospitals and clinics, uh, delayed care. Uh, so we we did a we did a couple of things. One is we we put a wide range of protocols and practices together to ensure that we were providing safe care while still maintaining high quality and, and outcomes. Uh, but we also put a telerehabilitation program in place. So patients that were not comfortable coming to the clinics, we were able to treat them virtually uh, through an app, and all of our clinicians were were trained using that app and. We had a pretty good uh, turnout uh, initially. That's starting to wean off as patients are, are getting more comfortable coming to clinics, but uh, tele-rehab was a, was a game changer for us. You know, when you mentioned using virtual all telehealth, telemedicine in rehabilitation, 
Does that mean that you have to work closely with the patient while they're at home on maybe some type of special exercise they had to do? Yeah, it gives the clinician at least the ability through this you know, virtual technology to, to watch the patient go through various motions. Obviously, you know, hands-on is, is always the best, but at the time, we didn't have a, an option for some patients who needed to you know, continue their, their therapy or needed new therapy once they had an injury and uh, during the pandemic. So they, they did the best they could with, with certain patients that you couldn't put your hands on trying to you know, get them to do certain exercises and stretching or strengthen exercises through our virtual technology. You know, while we're on the uh, discussion of COVID, I have two questions for you I want to ask COVID-related. First, have you had to treat patients that unfortunately were infected with COVID and they needed post-COVID care in the form of rehabilitation? Absolutely. So uh, early on in the pandemic, we uh, worked to put together a, a program we call the R2 program, stands for Recovery and Reconditioning Program, which was specifically developed to target the specific needs of COVID-19 recovery patients. I think what what you're starting to see is, you know, between 10 and 25 percent of patients who uh, who have uh, the virus tend to have some sort of long-term symptoms, uh, whether it's fatigue, uh, limited strength, difficulty with problem solving or memory. Uh, so this program offers a comprehensive physical therapy, occupational and speech therapy, as well as, as, well as neuropsychology to help these patients recover from their, from their post-COVID uh, symptoms. And thus far, we've probably treated over 500 patients, uh, which is obviously increasing as we speak uh, because more and, the, more and more of these patients are realizing that these symptoms tend to linger a little longer than they anticipated. You know, early on in the pandemic, especially in 2020, many patients had to be placed on ventilators, and many were on ventilators for 30 days or more. That patient, hopefully that survived, would need rehabilitation. Am I correct? That's correct. And typically, we would get those patients into our inpatient rehabilitation hospitals first. So we have treated a large number of patients uh, that have come off uh, ICU floors. Um, they have needed, you know, several weeks of, in, of intensive inpatient rehabilitation, and they transition to one of our outpatient settings. But yeah, we definitely have seen a, a, a quite a bit uh, over the past eighteen months or so. You know, Dr. Polo, patients have a responsibility to follow the instructions of the provider. How do you inspire your patients to follow their treatment plan? Yeah, that's a great question. It's and it varies sometimes from patient to patient, but we've got incredible clinicians and therapists who are not just, you know, treating clinicians, they're also cheerleaders trying to get the patients and families to really see, you know, taking little baby steps, uh, how how their recovery is, is progressing and improving. You know, we, we set goals for patients to uh their realistic goals so they start to see that progress and and get and get motivated, you know, uh, by seeing themselves continue to get better. So we're always trying to trying to set goals for patients and families alike, so we can kind of get them to be as motivated as they need to be. Because that's that's half the battle is is having that patient work hard, 
to to continue to improve their their rehabilitation and the recovery. You know, the Institute for Rehabilitation certainly focuses on the patient and the patient's family, but you offer also unique programs to help serve the community. Can you share with our listeners some of those programs? Sure. So one that we launched many years ago uh, is our Revital program, which is dedicated for cancer survivors. This is a unique program that provides ind- individualized care, support, and education to manage their disease. You know, as we all know, when you fight cancer, it can be physically and emotionally draining. You know, having surgery or radiation treatment, chemotherapy can have you know lasting side effects and can lead to lifelong complications. So our Revital program brings together certified cancer rehabilitation specialists uh, who provide all forms of therapy, you know, PTOT and speech, uh, to help patients improve their quality of life, regardless of what, you know, where they are in their cancer journey. Uh, another unique program that we offer is our neurotransitional center. This is a facility that's sort of the bridge between an inpatient hospital and home. Patients are quite ready to go home and be independent, even with a family member or two. So this facility, it's, it's almost sort of like a home-like setting. Instead of the hospital bed, it's a, it's a, it's a regular uh, bed you'd find in a home. And the therapies are all designed to help that patient get more acclimated to that home setting with the ultimate goal is to get them home and, and to work. And we've had phenomenal outcomes from patients coming in. And within a, a month or two or three, We got them back home and back to their their jobs. We've been listening to Dr. Fabian Polo, the president of the Baylor Scott & White Institute for Rehabilitation. Dr. Polo, thank you for telling us about your program. Steve? You know, as we close out the show, remember the COVID-19 BA.2 variant is now the dominant variant in North Texas. It's called the stealth variant, and it's more contagious than Omicron. So wear your mask, be safe, and join us next week for the human side of healthcare.